millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi listeners, our subsidy is back with two bonus episodes for you. Today's is a bit different from my usual, as it's co-produced with the youth homeless charity Centrepoint, who have arranged a very interesting interview for this episode. We will be discussing the HRA, Homelessness Reduction Act. Now, if you don't already know much about the HRA, please feel free to go back and listen to episode four first. We are joined by Bob Blackman, who is uh, MP for Harrow. Harrow East. Harrow East, okay. You introduced the Homelessness Reduction Act, um, and so we're going to have a little chat about the Homelessness Reduction Act, and I've got some questions I'd I'd like to to ask you. Okay. So there's already been quite a bit of coverage about the aims of the HRA and the funding put in place to implement it. I'd like to ask you why you chose reducing homelessness to be a topic of your private member's bill. Well, there's a number of reasons. The first is, obviously, I served in local government for 24 years prior to being elected to Parliament, and I've seen the impact of homelessness on people on an individual basis. I knew what the position was in my own local authority in Brent at the time of how homeless people were treated, and what we did as politicians was to say very simply, uh, you have to ration the service you're giving. So that if someone approaches you who doesn't qualify for help, then you say, very sorry, but there's nothing we can do for you. I also sit on the uh, Housing, Communities and Local Government Select Committee. And at the time, we did a, an eight-month study into homelessness in England. Um, we produced a very detailed report. And what didn't surprise me, I suppose, was that most people who gave evidence to us who were homeless said, all I need is some help and advice to get myself back into housing. Because most people face this crisis at least once in their lives, uh, and therefore they need help and advice. People that suffer it uh, a number of times know where to go. But the first time you suffer this is the real crisis point, and you don't know where to go. Where would you go? You go to the local authority. So when I was drawn number two in the private member's ballot, I thought, well, this is an ideal opportunity to actually do something about it. The government opposed it to start with. Uh, uh, They weren't going to support the proposed bill. Well, put together a, a wish list from the housing charities and landlords associations and to a certain extent land, uh, local authorities. And then we turned that into the legalese that's required for a bill. Uh, and then obviously we took that on um, through pre-legislative scrutiny. In uh, The committee looked at the bill and looked at the impact of that and made recommendations after receiving evidence from various different interested parties. We then made changes to the, the draft bill. 
And then by the time we got it into committee, it was six weeks of very detailed scrutiny in committee uh, and 21 government amendments to, to the bill. Uh, after that, we ended up with a, a very comprehensive piece of legislation, which aims, it's very simple, it's if you're homeless, uh, then provided you've qualified by living in the area for six months or more, mm. you can go to your local authority before you're homeless. It's very important because the idea is to prevent people from becoming homeless rather than deal with the symptoms, such as rough sleeping or someone literally with nowhere to put their, their head at night. So the aim is that up to 56 days before someone becomes homeless, then they sit down with the local authority and say, I'm going to be homeless in two months' time. What can you do to help? And then there's actions on the individual, actions on the local authority, and at the end of the process, yeah. an offer of accommodation of 12 months uh, private sector tenancy, because that's likely where it be. Is, is going to be offered. So since the HRA came into force, we've seen a wide variation between local authorities in terms of the actions they've taken to comply with the Act. What recourse is there for those in the areas such as Thanet where it's been ignored? Well, obviously, we knew from the outset, as I outlined, mm -hmm. we're going to have a problem with people who've been trained to deny service. You can't suddenly overnight, say, go from uh, rationing the service to being come in, have a seat, to how, how can we help you? That's a very difficult cultural change to make. Mm. So we can change the law, yeah. but actually changing the culture takes a lot longer. Uh, and the local authorities that have done this very well mm. have recruited new staff and trained them up in the new responsibilities. Mm. I think a lot of local authorities have tried to switch staff from being uh, housing officers who were schooled in how to deny people service yeah. to now being how to help. And so I think there's a real dilemma. Local authorities, by the way, of course, don't have to do this themselves. Mm. They can enlist local charities or, or third sector organisations to do the job for them. Mm -hmm. And often that might be the best way for the simple reason these are people that don't necessarily you know, are officialdom, as it were, and therefore they're likely to be more trusted in their approach. Now, one of the things that we did uh, as we were putting this uh, act through Parliament was to put various hooks in there. There's obviously a code of guidance mm -hmm. on what local authorities should do to discharge their duties. Yeah. But we also included, I have to say, at my insistence, we had the hook whereby if local authorities do not comply with the letter or spirit of the law, then the Secretary of State has the ability to introduce a statutory code of practice which will force them to do the job that they want to do. Now, we didn't want to do that straight off. For the simple reason that local authorities, we wanted their local authorities to come up with inventive ways of actually dealing with the problem. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, of course, there are some local authorities who pay lip service to the law yeah. and others that say, yes, well, we must really do this. Yeah. So a lot of the local authorities that in, uh, were involved in the trailblazing activities have embraced the spirit of the, the Act, have seen their costs reduce uh, and the cost of temporary accommodation reduce as well as the cost of helping people as they've embraced it mm. rather than trying to put up barriers to prevent people from uh, getting help. So I think this is a, a key point and, and you know, I addressed a conference uh, uh, on this particular issue uh, today and we had a range of speakers talking about the widespread difference there is between different local authorities. Clearly you've got to have some sympathy with a local authority that's suddenly receiving a huge spike in terms of the number of people that are homeless mm. through no fault of their own. 
Uh, but on the other hand, they've got a legal duty and they can um, obviously offer appointments and set this up over a period of time. Mm. But what is most important is they don't do what they used to do. And what they used to do was to say, yes, OK, you're going to be homeless in two months' time. Come back mm. when you are homeless and we'll look at what we, what we can do for you. Because that means that someone arrives in the housing office, their bag's packed, literally nowhere to go, not knowing where they're going to sleep that night, and the local authority have got to do something for them. Now, that's going to be costly to the local authority and obviously a state of high anxiety for the individual. Equally, if they allow that to continue through to eviction, then the likelihood is the landlord has taken out court action against them, they've uh, incurred bailiff costs, mm. they'll have also got county court judgments against them, which means that no one is going to offer them a tenancy. So actually, it's a, a foolhardy thing to do. Much better to uh, identify a route forward, be it lengthening an existing tenancy, be it an alternative private sector tenancy, well, whatever it is, but there are means by which it can be processed. And unfortunately, there are some local authorities that are reluctant to do this. Well, they better wake up to the fact that if they don't do it, they may be forced to do it in the very near future. I think that's really reassuring for, for some people that are in areas, like as I mentioned, Thanet, where um, on, on their website they basically signpost people who are non-priority need to just go to another area because they say we don't have any homeless services. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I really see is in certain areas, Kent, Cornwall, Devon, there's definitely a push to push people more into um, the centre of England, really, to try and access services. And I think that that's really unfair on the areas that have seen to take people who maybe aren't from their area and provide them and trying to provide them with a service. I think every council should look to commission services, as you said, charities and other organisations, to be able to support those who aren't in priority need. Yeah, one area I would just have sympathy with the local authorities, obviously, is the supply of affordable homes. Yeah. And clearly we haven't got to address that. And that, that's not covered by the Act, obviously. The Act was intended to, to prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we knew from the word go that we are going to get a spike because we see the number of rough sleepers there are uh, on the streets and that's the visible signs of homelessness. Mm-hmm. But we also know that there's 300,000 people sofa surfing out there. Well, they probably have never approached their local authority for help and assistance. Now they've got the capability to do so. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that very quickly, if you're if you're sleeping on a friend's sofa, mm. uh, you run out of friends very quickly, and therefore yeah. you're you're next door to being sleeping on the streets. Mm-hmm. So actually, combating that is the most important thing that we can do uh, across the piece. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So from the few decision letters we have seen via the Centrepoint helpline, it's clear that housing officers are still confused by the legislation. They apply prevention duty to those who are already homeless, or they proceed with applying prevention duty, ignoring that the person is in fact already clearly in priority need and entitled to interim accommodation pending a decision. Can you talk about how your private member's bill approached the issue of monitoring compliance and what action would be taken by the government against the council's failure to deliver their statutory duties? Well, clearly the, 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 there is nothing in here, in the, in the Act, that changed the council's statutory duty to house vulnerable people. But the reality was that you know, you, if you approached a local authority because you're homeless, the first question they'd ask you is, well, have you got children under the age of 16? Mm-hmm. Are you registered for mental health problems or physical health problems? Are you a drug addict um, or, or uh, abusing other substances? And if the answer to those questions is, well, no, then they'd say, goodbye, good luck, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So, but nothing changes. For If you qualify through the statutory duty, then all that means is that you go through the normal process. Mm. The, the Act is intended to have two filters to start with. In other words, so you're homeless through no fault of your own, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you could be single, you may have you know, split up from a relationship, you could be living in prison, you could be leaving healthcare, you could be uh, children who've reached the age of 19 in care and therefore reaching the end of the the local authority statutory duty to house. Now there's a duty to continue that care. Uh, You know, there's a whole range of other people that that we look at who then can be, well, should be assisted under the legislation. Now, all of those people uh, have to be assisted by the local authority if they're homeless. Now, yeah. obviously, there's a, there, there are issues around can the, the local authority find reasonable accommodation for them and such like. There's, a, you know, obviously challenges in this regard. But there's also duties on cooperation from other departments before someone gets to that stage. And it shouldn't just be for the housing office to have to deal with the consequences. Now, if a housing office doesn't do what it should do, then obviously the government is going to monitor this. They're conducting consultation uh, I'm not sure if it's been issued yet, but it, I know they're doing a consultation. Uh, the HLG Select Committee is doing a once-off inquiry into how this has gone. We're going to invite people to give us feedback on, on what's happened. Uh, and indeed, I think Crisis are doing a very detailed report on how the Act has been implemented and lessons to be learned. Um, there are issues around funding. I'm going to accept that completely. Uh, but you know what we've got to look at is... Uh, what is the experience thus far? I understand that there's there's issues around funding. I, from what I've noticed is, um, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a cultural change from just turning people away um, to now looking at other ways in which they can support people, getting to know better um, the the services that are in their area. On the helpline, we do have like local cou- councils, housing officers phoning us and saying, oh, um, I don't really know where I can send this person who's non-priority need. I don't know anything about the services in my area. So I think there's an element of uh, some emphasis being put on local housing officers and local councils to research what other services are in that area for people who are non-priority need. Well, can I say, uh, the, the government uh, gave uh, a substantial amount of money for the data uh, build-up for local authorities to look at their IT systems and also build up the data. 
one thing above all else that local authorities have got to do is to, for, is to establish a data bank of homes that can be provided to people that are homeless. You know, there's no good. I mean, one of the experiences that even some of the best authorities had was if someone who's homeless approached the local authority, they'd be given a, a list of estate agents and told to troop around and see them. Um, uh, or they may be given access to a computer. You know, to, you can Google what, what's available. Well, you know, that, frankly, when you're facing the crisis of you know, either you know, I haven't got anywhere to live now mm-hmm. or I'm going to be homeless in a very short time frame, mm-hmm. you know, that's no good. Mm-hmm. And we've got to have a position whereby they've built up the knowledge of what's available in their area. They should be the font of knowledge. And, and I think that's the key. Um, uh, if they can't do it, then they should outsource it to a you know, third party provider, probably a, a charity or mm-hmm. someone that can help and assist mm-hmm. so people that can get the help and advice they need. Because one of the things is that definitely people that are street homeless definitely need um, a position whereby sympathy and understanding of the crisis that they faced because there'll be a reason why someone, and, and everyone is a unique case. Mm-hmm. Uh, equally, people who are sofa surfing, there'll be a reason for it. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't choose to be homeless. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the other myths around um, that in some way, shape, or form, people are you know, freeloaders or whatever. And that, that's not the case. People face a crisis because often through no fault of their own. I feel really reassured that you've said that because I think one of the things that upsets me quite a bit from what I hear from young people and what I've heard directly from housing officers when they've sent us um, copies of their assessments is comments like, I don't think that that person's actually homeless because they turned up to the office looking clean. I mean, if the idea is that people are going to turn up dishevelled, dirty, uh, looking hungry, not having cleaned their... I mean, that's ridiculous, frankly. For young people, of course, mm. often they can't live at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be because you know, their, their father and mother have, have split up uh, and there's a new partner involved mm. who doesn't want them around. Yeah, all sorts of things happen. Um, we know that that be the case. It's one of the principal causes of homelessness amongst young people, mm. uh, for a start. And, and no one, but no one, looked at this particular issue in terms of local authority responsibility. Now they've got a responsibility. Uh, and I did some field work in Manchester uh, before we introduced the bill uh, and looked at, even in Manchester, the young people were going under the radar and there were hostels available. Um, and of course, one of the problems we know is that a lot of the young people on the streets end up uh, using spice. Uh, and that is a seriously, once people, someone's addicted to spice, they're like a zombie. Uh, and so it does take a really long time to actually sort them out in secure accommodation when when they're taken off the streets. Mm. But much rather we get people off the streets first. And local authorities can discharge their duties by saying to young people, look, okay, you can't live with your parents. Is there an uncle or aunt or someone else in the family you can go and live with? Grandparents. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not just saying, oh, well, this is a way by which someone can acquire a flat of their own. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not... It's, not, it's a bit of tough love here to say, look, we don't want you to sleep on the rough on the streets. We don't want you in bad company. You know, is there an alternative route of accommodation? Mm-hmm. As well as looking at, at the, the means of providing housing if that's the right route forward. But it's all an individual case mm-hmm. uh, that has to be looked at. In the few HRA um, personal housing plans that we've seen, yeah. the main suggestion is for the person to go and find private rented accommodation. However, with the continued freeze on local housing allowance, this can prove impractical. 
A recent study from the Chartered Institute of Housing called Missing the Target found that more than 90% of the LHA rates don't cover the cheapest rents. Do you think we could see more moves to begin raising the LHA rate in the budget or a comprehensive spending review? Because I feel without this rise in uh, LHA rates, um, it's going to limit the effect that the Homelessness Reduction Act can have. And the Homelessness Reduction Act, therefore, isn't providing meaningful assistance if councils are just going to say you should go and look at the private rented market when it's becoming clear that you know LHA is not going to cover well, rent. The, the aim behind the, uh, the Homelessness Reduction Act was always that people would likely end up in private rented accommodation and that was the offer that would be made by, by the local authority and it should be a 12-month tenancy as well. So from that perspective, that was always going to be the aim. Um, I think there's much more has to be done by housing associations to accommodate homeless, genuinely homeless people rather than just people off the waiting list. I think there's a big, big challenge here that has to be undertaken. Equally, the supply of housing is the, is the crunch. Because at the moment, the problem is that not enough affordable housing is being built. So as a result of which, the market naturally inflates. My concern about uh, increasing the LHA is that landlords will just increase rents. And so actually won't do any good for the people at the bottom. The real answer is to increase the supply quite dramatically. And one of the solutions I've suggested to the Chancellor, whether he looks at this, is a lot of public land is sold off for housing development. So what we do is we say to the, the health service, the Ministry of Defence, local authority, sell the land for the maximum amount you can get. So they do. And then we're surprised when the housing that goes on it is very highly priced or very highly rented. Actually, there's a solution to this. Uh, instead of doing a, a benefit process, what we could do is say to whoever's releasing the land, the Treasury will give you the value of the land provided the housing is affordable. Then you get affordable housing at rents people can, can afford or a price if they want to buy the property at a price they can afford and you know the, the, the local authority, health authority or whoever are also getting their money. That prevents this spiral which goes on of, of, of leading to ever increasing rents and, and if we can get to that stage the other benefit of this is that if we get to that stage with affordable housing with reasonable rents that will drive the market down as well. I always worry about interfering with markets because they have a way of, of, of unexpected consequences mm -hmm. of, of interfering. The local housing allowance is one of those that I think is an interference in the market, which isn't always... I mean, if we could increase the, the, those rates, but my worry would be they'd increase rapidly and continue increasing rapidly and actually wouldn't solve the problem. Yeah, I appreciate that would be a concern that it would be putting money into um, you know private landlords that um, and it would just it may it may just keep going up. I think at the moment though that is being the main thing that's coming out of um, the personal housing plans, especially for young people and I imagine for for the rest of the homeless community, is to go and look for private rented. And I, I feel like that isn't meaningful assistance really for. No, but it, it should be the local authority helping someone find. Um, private rented accommodation you know, this is a, the plan if the, if the local authority is doing this right actions on the local authority actions on the individual mm -hmm. leading to an offer of accommodation almost certainly in, as you say the private rented sector mm -hmm. but by definition if you've done the plan correctly it's going to be something that someone can afford because there's no point in sitting down and saying well here's, here's a wonderful new property and people say well you know my income my, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't allow me to, to rent that property. Well, mm -hmm. that's a waste of everyone's time. Mm -hmm. So we've got, to, we've got to get to that stage. My concern mm -hmm. is, is ensuring that we get 
the increase in the supply. Because if you don't get the increase in supply, then actually nothing is going to change in this. And all that happens is the local authority will say, well, there's nowhere out here, yeah. uh, but you can move to Newcastle mm -hmm. uh, if you're from Kent. You move to Newcastle because property price is a lot cheaper there. But sorry, hang on, I've got a job down in Kent. So how do I, you know, do I give up my job and move to Newcastle and be unemployed? But it, it's, it's a nonsense. Our other problem with, as well is the local authorities that are moving people on out of their area. There's another knock-on effect, and that is that someone to be classified as homeless under the Homelessness Reduction Act has got to be resident in the area for six months or more before they're owed a duty. Um, where people get moved around, I have a concern, which we're going to look at, I have a concern that all that happens then is they get moved on from one local authority to another, and then in a few months' time they become homeless because the landlord wants the property back, they then force it on the next local authority, and you just get people on a spiral. Yeah, and it, it, break, it breaks up their it breaks up their local connection. Wow. It and, breaks and, up the local yeah. connection. I think what I've seen when it comes to local authorities is they're putting a lot more the responsibility for searching for that accommodation on the, on the person that's coming homeless. Local authorities will give themselves well, the easiest to, action to do. They're about to try to do that. Yeah. What would you recommend to someone who's kind of found that in that situation? Would you suggest that they try and access legal advice, which yes. I know is getting harder and harder, though, Yeah, I mean, legal aid cuts? Well, uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, interesting enough, I mean, uh, uh, this conference today, Shelter are looking for a test case. Um, okay. where, so I think there'll be a test case where discrimination has taken place, and clearly that's, that, that will force them. The DSS yeah, we can discrimination, set the law. Yeah. yeah, we can set the law, um, but that doesn't mean to say that people, that people won't find a way around it. You know, as mm -hmm. soon as we put in things like reasonable... Mm. what's reasonable to you or I may not be reasonable to the person looking for a property. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. So on the next bonus episode, I will be interviewing a homeless couple I've got to know over the past four months who were rough sleeping in Westminster. I hope you can join us for what will be the last bonus episode in season one. But before you go, I have a favour to ask. To bring our subsidy back for series two later on this year, we need to get more listeners. So could I ask that you take some time to review the podcast and most importantly, share it on social media with your family and friends. And if you want to get in touch, you can do so via the socials. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.